A big shout out to our tech team while we're at it here. We have the most phenomenal tech team anywhere, anywhere. And uh, you can give them a round of applause. They're back, they're working it right now. And I'm telling you that because we have a soundboard that's, uh, that was built in the time of Abraham, okay? And uh, it's going the way of all men. And uh, up until just moments ago, our tech guy was just making it happen, making it. We, we spent a pile of money for a brand new soundboard. It's going to be in operation within a few weeks. But if something goes wonky, it's not their fault. It's just what's happening. I'll just speak a little louder, okay? <laughs> It'll be fine. Ruth, chapter 3. Thank you. Let's give Doug a round of applause back there one more time. Thank you, Doug, for all you're doing. And speaking of technology, uh, uh, how many of you have heard the term uh, algorithm? R raise your hand. Okay, so many of you have. You have any tech experience at all? You've heard that term. It's basically a, a computer tech term. If you so take for instance, uh, most of you go to YouTube because the number one thing that's searched on the internet is YouTube. And uh, so if you go to YouTube, uh, uh, the algorithms factor in what you what you tend to watch, and then they get you to keep watching by suggesting things in the same genre, even though you haven't watched it yet. So it can be very revealing. If I opened up your YouTube, I think it'd be very revealing. Can I get an amen? Would you like to see mine? So here's a snapshot. I took a screenshot of my pages. So on the upper hand, it's not sermon stuff. It's wrestling, because wrestling is the greatest sport of all time. And uh, the Olympics, we've got, a, we've got a stellar team for the Olympics this year in Tokyo, and that's my man, Kyle Dake, right there. And so I, I like to watch wrestling. What can I say? And then there's some other spiritual stuff on here and some war stuff. In the next page, I think I got some other things. There's John MacArthur and Billy Graham. That sanctifies my YouTube page right there. <laughs> but they are revealing. Basically, that's, that shows you, gives you a sense of what... Uh, what you tend to like. It's very interesting, very revealing. So here's my question for you. Go, just go ahead and take it down, please. They don't need to be staring at it any longer. <laughs> what does God see when he sees what only he can see in my life, in your life? That's the question right now. What is, what is he seeing in the dark? Why am I asking that in our study of Ruth? Because as in chapter 1, we went through 10 years. Chapter 2, one day. Chapter 3, a night. It's dark. In fact, the whole chapter is a, a peek into what's happening behind the scenes, and it happens mostly at night. And when it comes to honoring God, nothing proves your love for him than your obedience to him. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. It's that there, there's this inextricably tied together thing of love and obedience. And so the question is, do you love him? Do you really love him? Do you obey him in the dark? You've heard the truism, many of you, if you give a man a fish, you'll feed him for a day. If you teach a man to fish, you'll feed him for a lifetime, right? And Ruth, if you've been with us in our study, Ruth's been given a lot of fishes by Boaz. And, but she's not like sitting around waiting for the government check to come in. She's actually going into the field. The uh, Boaz's servants are dropping the extras behind. And she's loading it up, bringing it home to her, 
her mother-in-law, who we've discovered is a relative to this wealthy man, Boaz. But the harvest is coming to an end, and all of its perks through Boaz. What now? So today, in our third stage of this drama, Naomi will send Ruth out again, not to the field for grain, (laughs) but to the barn for a husband. She's a very enterprising (laughs) mother-in-law. Let's just see how how enterprising she is, shall we? Let's look at Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. I'm just trying to say it like she might have said it, okay? <laughs> Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put your, uh, put your, uh, your cloak and on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go over and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, say it, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth. Your servant, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen, Know that you are a worthy woman. So, as I was reading this, I, I, I thought the very first date I ever had with my first wife. And that always sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? But hang there. Anyway, so uh, uh, I, I, I took her out. Her name was Nina. I took her out in our, in, in our 1968 red Volkswagen Beetle. And at the end of the date... I pulled into her driveway, and I'm not joking, I'm not exaggerating, before the Volkswagen came to a stop, her door was open, her foot was out the door. (laughs) I asked her why she would do this later, as our relationship progressed. She said, well, you had a reputation. (laughs) And I guess I did. I praise the Lord for regeneration that changed my reputation. Ruth is a Moabite, and if you've been with us in our study, you know that they are a despised people group, uh, 
that actually came into existence through an incestuous relationship between Lot and one of his daughters. The Moabites in Numbers 25, we're told, led the Israel, Moabite women specifically led Israel into idolatry. So their reputation was basically persona non grata in Israel. But Ruth is no longer an idolater, amen? <laughs> She's been redeemed. She's come under the wings of God. She has trusted in Jehovah God, as some of you still need to do. You've never really repented of your sins and placed your faith in the Redeemer. You're religious, but you're lost. She's no longer lost. And what's more, in just six to eight weeks, which is how long it took for the barley harvest to take place, she has won the admiration. Look at it in verse 11. Boaz says, my, of my fellow townsmen. That, the Hebrew literally says, my gate people. The gate people, when you, when, you, when you talk about the gates, the city gates, there were actually gates that you entered into a city, but the gate was not the swinging gates themselves, but it was the area beyond that door, that gate, the section that led to the city where business and politics took place, and we're going to see this more in the fourth chapter. Basically, Boaz is, re is referring to the men who resided in the gate doing politics and business. And he refers, Boaz refers to Ruth, you'll notice, as a worthy woman. Interestingly, that same expression in Hebrew is used in Proverbs 31, where she's called the excellent what? Wife. That's the, that's the phrase, worthy woman. So she, and she's about to become that. But what made Ruth, what is it that made Ruth worthy in this less than two-month period of time to the men in the gate? The answer is in an old-fashioned word. Have you ever heard of it? It's the word obedience. It's a good word. It's a biblical word. And it's a word that I want to tattoo you with today, to get you to submit to so that you can really become one who lives up to the words we just sang. You love, if you're a lover of God, you're an obedient one. So we just covered the first 11 verses, and we see in the first couple of verses, well, it, she says, Naomi says, my daughter, you should, uh, you know, uh, Boaz is our relative. And you might, if you've been following, you would say, well, we already knew this because that was stated back in chapter 2. But Ruth didn't know that. Ruth is just now coming to know that. And Naomi must have given her some theological lesson on the Leverite marriage, which we'll talk about, the, the whole kinsman-redeemer aspect. That's next week. But the only reason I'm pointing it out to you is Ruth's obedience was not blind obedience. The barley harvest is coming to an end. And once Naomi had realized that Boaz was a relative, she being, you know, the enterprising woman that she was, went to work. And by the way, I think that Boaz's extravagant blessing upon Ruth by giving her all that grain to begin with and having his servants leave stuff behind, if, 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 if only for Naomi, his relative's sake, was the cause that caused Naomi to see a window of opportunity here for the possibility of a husband for Ruth and the carrying on of their namesake. Now, you see the instructions here. This is really interesting. The instructions that Naomi gave to Ruth, they're very clear, aren't they? 
even if they're very strange, right? Clear, but strange. Get up, wash up, dress up, and go down to the barn. Wait until Boaz is a little tipsy. I mean, it was a, he wasn't drunk, but there was, this was a celebratory time. And so, wait till he goes off and falls asleep, and then wait for it, lie down at his feet. What's fascinating to me is that Naomi was confident that Boaz would understand what to do because she, she said to Ruth, he'll tell you what to do. So that tradition was there, even though there's a lot of debate over what this was all about. There was, but she was confident, but Boaz would know what to do at that point, right? And by the way, 500 years or so later, when the prophet Ezekiel wanted to describe God's marriage to the children of Israel, here's how he put it. When I passed by you, this is God speaking, Again, and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. So that's really cool, but it's really strange, isn't it? I mean, even Hallmark movies, which I know I don't like, they don't have these kind of proposals. And we can't know with any certainty what Ruth even understood of these bizarre instructions. But one thing is really clear. She's all in. She's obedient. Look at it. All that you say, I will say it. I'll do. She's all in. The scene that followed has led many to see this as just purely, uh, you know, a love story. It is a love story, but it's not the gushy Hallmark version, okay? There are some clear, truth to tell, there are some clear visual and sexual overtures, like Naomi telling Ruth to, you know, dress to the nines. Why would you do that? Uh, as well as the expression, lie down. Did you catch that? The expression, lie down, is, is used eight times in this chapter. Eight times, and generally speaking, lying down with someone that's not your spouse is not good in any culture at any time. Can I get an amen? amen. So let's, let's, let's picture the scene again. So she's obedient. She goes down. She waits. She, it's dark. It's late at night. And she goes and she uncovers his feet, probably up to about the knees, and she lies down. Suddenly, around midnight, he comes out of his stupor and goes, what in the world? Who are you? And look at it again. Look at how she expresses. I am Ruth. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. This is a, look at this. This is a beautiful thing. Do you see what Ruth is doing? Do you see how she's responding to, to Boaz? She has taken the same words that Boaz used in chapter 2 to describe her faith in Jehovah God and says, basically, please do for me physically what Jehovah God has done for me spiritually. That's what she's asking. And be, become my husband. In essence, she's asking Boaz to raise up through her an heir to the line of Elimelech 
for Naomi. In a sense, Ruth is, 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 is offering to become a surrogate for Naomi, willing to marry and birth a child that will be Naomi's and asking Boaz to join in the plan. This is crazy stuff. And I'm telling you this because if there's a love story here, and I hate to just dismantle everything in your mind, but if there's a love story here, it's the love between Ruth and Naomi. That's where the love is. I mean, consider her boldness. And by the way, in case you're wondering, women did not make proposals in those days either. So everything about this is counterintuitive, even in the culture of that day. But notice how Boaz responded to Ruth. Did you see it? Look at, look at verse 11 again. He, he starts by saying, my darling, right? No, he doesn't say, my what? My daughter. <laughs> Says it twice. Why? Well, because she could be his daughter. I mean, she was young enough. And lovers don't call themselves son and daughter. You notice that? We say, honey, we say, sweetheart, we say, handsome, we say, babe, we don't say, daughter. I, I tried to imagine this, honey, my wife's here. I, I tried to imagine this when I asked you to marry me, you know, and you calling me son, <laughs> even though I did marry an older woman. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pay for that one, honey. <laughs> but that would have weirded me out. Still, if Ruth was taking a risk, how much more Boaz? Socially, politically, financially, and certainly spiritually, these are all risks that Boaz was taking. But in spite of all this, she lies down, he wakes up, she says, do, do this, and he says, in essence, I'll do it. I love this. This is what just envelops the entire chapter. If there's one thing that made Boaz and Ruth compatible, it wasn't their age, it wasn't their beauty, it was their character. The character of obedience. Obedience, even in the dark. Now, in this moment, can you just imagine, Ruth's heart had to be soaring. They are utterly destitute apart from some plan coming to fruition. And he says, I'll do it. But there is an obstacle to overcome, and that's where we pick it up in verse 12. And now, this is Boaz talking, now it's true that I'm a redeemer, but there's a redeemer nearer than I. Ugh. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Well, not really, but good. Let him do it. But if he will not, he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So there's somebody closer to Naomi than Boaz. Which, by the way, tells you he wasn't obligated to do this. So, verse 14, she lay at his feet until the morning. But arose before one could recognize another, so it's still dark. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came to the threshing floor and he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how'd you fare, my daughter? 
Then she told her all the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave me, for he said, You must not go back empty-handed to your (laughs) mother-in-law. Naomi replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he settles this matter today. Did you see how much seed Boaz gave to Ruth? Six measures of barley. Do you know what six measures of barley amounts to? 80 pounds. 80 pounds. Forget the description I gave you last week. She's like Hulk. She could win the shot put in the upcoming Olympics. And what's Boaz, 50 or maybe 60 years old? And Ruth, she's like, like really strong. Okay? Boaz is going to give her a greater seed than this. Ruth and Boaz are literally portraits of obedience. And so I want to conclude our time talking about obedience in the dark. And this is my great desire for you, not just to know the story, but the application of it. Here's what I want you to think of in terms of obedience. Obedience is. It's more important than the risk you take. Ruth and Boaz, the risk that they took were off the charts. The days of the judges, it was dark. There was drinking. She's a Moabite. They're lying down. His reputation is on the line. I mean, if you think about it, had one of those other harvesters caught Ruth before she got to Boaz? and done what they did back in the days of the judges at midnight, what would the verdict be? (laughs) She had it coming. That's what the verdict would have been. You talk about risk. Let me ask you a question. What risk are you willing to take in this culture at this time in your life? Are you willing to take a few risks to share Jesus with your family that you've never shared with before, with your friends that you've never opened up to before, with the people that you work with that you're scared spitless to talk to? Would it be worth the risk to be ostracized by telling somebody they need to have a relationship with the living God and come under the wings of his salvation? Francis Schaeffer called our unwillingness to share Jesus the, quote, our guilty Silence. I was ostracized right after I became a Christian. I just went after everybody. I burned a lot of bridges. But I talked to family. I talked to friends. I talked to people I worked with. And one by one, they were disassociating themselves with me. And would I have done it differently? Probably not. Well, maybe a little. Anyway. I remember feeling really, really lonely. I'd taken a bunch of risk and burned a bunch of bridges. I'd found some new friends that were Christians, and it was wonderful, but I truly did miss my family and my friends. And I remember taking a walk one day uh, around the block where we lived, and I remember just I was just sort of kind of mopey and feeling bad, having been rejected, and... Um, 
the Lord brought 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17 to my mind as I was walking, which says Paul was in this Roman Mamertine prison. He says, he says, at my first defense, no one stood with me. All men forsook me. Then he says in the same breath, nevertheless, the Lord stood with me and he encouraged me. And that encouraged me to say, God, I am willing to take these risks out of obedience for your glory. Do you remember the story of Esther and she ascends to queenhood and her uncle Mordecai comes after this verdict is out to kill all the Jews and Mordecai pleads with Esther to go in and and present herself to the king at the risk of death and Esther famously says to her uncle, knowing all the risks, she says, if I perish, what? I perish. Obedience is more important than the risks you take. Our brothers and sisters in Jesus all around the world right now, and some of, the, some of these countries are dying for their faith right now. What are you willing to risk? to prove your love for God and your love for the gospel, those of you who have embraced it and come under the wings of Jehovah God. Secondly, obedience is more important than accusations you face. Boaz and Ruth weren't a love match or even an, uh, and they weren't even a match ethnically, she being a Moabite and him a Jew, but they were a match in their character. They both faced being shamed by false accusations, and undoubtedly were. Just the other day, a friend of mine came to me, just the other day, and he was really distressed because someone had come to him from outside of our church, never been to our church, but seemed to know everything about our church, and attacked me, my character, and you, the people who come to Sayreville Church questioning why he would even worship in such a place. And as I listened to him, my friend, uh, it was a false accusation. Uh, I wasn't, I felt no guilt. But I did feel the pain of a reckless word. Reckless words pierce like a sword, right? And in the moment, I remembered what Jesus said when he told his disciples, woe unto you when all men speak well of you. We shouldn't go after this kind of a life. But if we go after God, not everyone is going to sing your praises. Character is the one thing that you can control. You take care of your character, God will take care of your reputation. Believe that. And the question is, has your obedience to God produced any opposition in your life? That's worth repeating. Has your obedience to God, your love for Christ and the gospel, produced any opposition in your life? And all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Have you ever read that? Lastly, obedience is more important than the sacrifices you make. Out of obedience, Boaz and Ruth made huge sacrifices. <clears throat> Listen carefully to these next few words. 
the American dream. And by the way, somebody just told me the other day, how are you doing? He goes, living the dream. I knew what he meant. I didn't challenge him on it. A lot of you said the same thing. Whimsically. The American dream is based on, listen to this. The American dream is based on sacrifices we make. I want you to get this down. The American dream is based on sacrifices we make, wait for it, for ourselves in the pursuit of power and pleasure and money and comfort. I'll say it again. The American dream is based on sacrifices we make for ourselves in the pursuit of power and pleasure and money and comfort. And many of you are making real sacrifices right now. They're just not for God. Sacrifices for more money in your savings, more power in your position, more opportunities for your children, more fun on your vacations, more comfort in your future. And it all seems so natural, doesn't it? It all seems so natural. Of course it's natural. It's what you've been told to do all your life. So here is a king. His name is Saul. And he's told by the prophet, you're going to go into the Amalekites and wipe them out. Spare nothing. So Saul, the king, goes in and just obliterates them, except that he saves the trophy, the king, and all the spoil, the sheep and such. Why? Because it all seems so, what? So natural. So natural to do. And so when the prophet showed up, he looked Saul in the eye, and he said these famous words. Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice. You've read that, haven't you? So just yesterday, our fourth church planner down in Winterset, Jason Gerwell, was not planning to be in the pulpit today because his daughter is graduating. How natural you got to be at the graduation, a big celebration. He'd taken the weekend off. But one of the most precious people in the church and a deacon, super close to him, loved by everyone, had a freak accident and died. And today, our brother Jason is at Redeemer Church comforting the people of God. To obey is better than to sacrifice. Has your obedience to God cost you anything for Jesus' sake? See, it sounds kind of scary. I, I know. Being dedicated, being radically dedicated to obedience to God, thus showing your love for him, can be scary. That's why I love the very first words out of Boaz's mouth when Ruth reveals herself to him. He says, do not fear. If you choose to obey God, You'll face consequences for your obedience, but you won't have to fear. 
because perfect love casts out fear. Your Redeemer is mighty enough to both save you and secure you as long as he wants you to live on this world and in this world. The question is, have you come under his wings? Have you come under the wings of God as Ruth did for salvation? Have you confessed your sin to him and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, trusted him as your Lord, your Savior, your Redeemer? Some of you have just not done that. You're religious, but you're lost. The first step in knowing God and pleasing him, even in the dark, is to trust his son, the greater Boaz, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've never done that, we urge you to do so today. And then leave with this question in your mind. What does God see? when he sees what only he can see in my life. Is it obedience? Even in the dark? Let's pray. God, thank you for this great story of great obedience. And thus, the demonstration of true love, that is the proof in the pudding of whether or not we love you is our willingness to obey you, to take risks, face shame, and make sacrifices that are nothing compared to what you have done for us in the person of your son, the greater Boaz, with the greatest sacrifice dying for us. I pray for those in this room and watching online who have never come under your wings, Lord God, the wings of your salvation and coming to trust Jesus. If that's you, dear friend, God has spoken to your heart and you see yourself as an outsider looking in. Today, humble yourself, repent of your sin, place your faith in Jesus and be saved. And if you're a Christian, would you ask yourself that question? whether it's the first few pages on your YouTube page or whatever, what does God see when he sees what only he can see in your life? And does it honor him? Does it speak of obedience even in the dark? God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.